Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I've been having a problem sleeping lately. I don't know what it is. I, I've been waking up, and what happens is I, I live right here in Burbank. So I wake up at like 3 in the morning, and I, I hear sirens. You know, They always wake me up, and I know it's either the assisted living house because there's one right near us or I live right off Glen Oaks so I'm thinking the cops are pulling over someone for a DUI and I'm thinking do I know that person who got the DUI then I try to go back to sleep and I can't and I sat there and someone told me I should count to a hundred backwards but the thing is I think like so many people my age I think we all adult ADD we were just never diagnosed when we were kids we were just our mind was always going everywhere that I sit there and I get down to 70 and then I forget if I skipped 80 and so I just can't sleep so I gotta start trying to get better sleep and I'm, my new thing is uh, lavender oil under a pillow people say that's good so I'm gonna have to try it so enough about me we have a great show uh, very I'm, I'm, I'm flattered to have my guest today he's uh, everyone Larry Point actually said you're a great guy you uh, you're a, have an amazing career my guest is Gregory Harrison Hey there. How nice you doing? to see you. I'm good. I'm good. Now, do you ever have problems sleeping ever? Or you yeah, to- you know, I was just going to suge- suggest while I was listening to you, um, have you tried melatonin? I did ages ago, and it didn't really work. It gave me weird dreams. Well, I use timed-release melatonin, about five milligrams a night. And I don't think, I think I've used it every night for the last 10 years. And you sleep great. Sleep great. See, that's awesome. Now, I got I to gotta ask you. I did a little research on you. And uh, are, you, are you like the most famous person that's come off of Catalina Island? <laughs> um, in show business, yeah, I would think so. You know, I mean, Catalina was always famous for people in show business going to Catalina, hanging out in Catalina, you know, from Errol Flynn and Fatty R. Buckle. Um, all the way up to present day. But, you know, John Wayne used to spend a lot of time there. I, I knew John Wayne. I, I sold John Wayne a lot of clothes from my little menswear store that I worked in in high school. But uh, I don't think anybody else has ever actually been born on the island that went on to have no, any cause, success. Because I read that, and I was sitting there going, wow, because I looked, and I did my little more research, and it was like the population is like, people who live is like 3,075. If and, that, probably. And that's almost three times what it was when I was born there. Now, how did you end up there? I, now, your father was a fisherman and a poet? Or, or is, that, is that wrong what I read? That's, that's what I read. I don't know if that's true. He wasn't a fisherman. He was a poet. Okay. But he was the captain of the glass bottom boat. My grandfather, in about 1904, went over to the island and, from Ireland and, and started the glass bottom boats over there. They were rowboats at that time. And he started diving for them uh, to feed the fish under the glass. And there were... By the time he, he had been doing it for a few years, there were 12 rowboats, and he would feed the fish under the glass for all 12 without coming up for air. And he held the world's record at that point. This is my grandpa. Really? Uh, three minutes and 48 seconds. That's insane. I mean, you think about it, like when, when we were younger, you know, you do go to the swim club, and you have to hold your breath for like a minute to get to like that red band to the blue band. Right. Three minutes. I mean, that's, I can't even, people can't even like, talk that long <laughs> I, I don't know how he did it but he trained himself over the years and became world famous for it and uh and eventually became a constable on the island which was sort of the unofficial policeman of the island deputized by the by the police force on the mainland so he was the constable in town and 
And uh, my father was born there in 1912, and he became the captain of the... He worked for the boats at first, and then he became the captain of the glass-bottom boat, the big one. It was called the Phoenix with big paddle wheels on the side, held a couple hundred people, and ran that for about 55 years. So you went to high school there. I'm guessing your school must have been very, very small. Really small. I graduated in 1968 with 31 kids. Wow. So when what- 28 of those I went to kindergarten with. See, that's just because uh, they think that my graduating class was 840, mm-hmm. and I grew up in a suburb. And it's funny, I grew up in a suburb outside Philadelphia. It was a nice area, but right. that was 840, and that class, class was small. Uh-huh. Now, for you as a kid, I mean, is that why you think you got into acting? Because there probably wasn't a lot of, you mean, you're 31 people you graduated with. Right. And like anything, most of the time, you like 60% of them. And, you know, so you really wasn't a lot of people that you could hang out with. Did you sit there and start creating at a young age, or what, how was your, what was your child like? Childhood like well, it was it was a it was a really idyllic childhood you know the, the island is beautiful it was there wasn't much crime on it because if you committed a crime where would you go hide right you know <laughs> there was no place to run to and uh, you know my parents could say to me that was back in the day when I guess this happened in a lot of parts of, of the U.S. but certainly it happened in Catalina where my mom I'd go out at eight in the morning if I wasn't going to school I, I'd I'd be out of the house at eight a.m. she'd say now be back before the sun goes down at seven thirty. And literally, as a four or five-year-old, I could be gone all day long. And they didn't have to worry. My dad had taught me how to avoid rattlesnakes. I knew how to swim. And other than that, there was nothing that could go wrong with my day. See, we were the same way, but we, we would, the same thing. They'd say, go, go play ball. And we would go. And, and the funny thing is, it'd be the summer, and it'd be like New Jersey humidity. And it'd be like 100 degrees. And we wouldn't bring water. Right. We would sit there and go at 9 in the morning, go out and play ball, <laughs> maybe come home for lunch. You know, then you, you, you'd get your... Lemonade, right. and then right. you go back out and you play baseball or basketball, mm-hmm. and none of us ever got sick, and none, we drank out of the hose, and none of us ever sat there and right. were fatigued and have. It was crazy, and probably for you, I mean, you lived more in a paradise. Like we went to the yard, but you could go out in the water, and just so it must have been great. I learned how to swim before I could walk. My mother used to throw me in the ocean, and I couldn't even stay on the surface. I just go down. Walk along the bottom or swim along the bottom. This is at a, as a one and a half year old, and pop up somewhere else, get a breath, and I sink, and pop up somewhere else and I was more comfortable in the ocean and still am more comfortable in the ocean than I am certainly on a freeway right no, well, or in a city yeah you know so for you what what made you decide to go into acting I mean as a kid did you watch TV or did because your dad was a poet there's probably an artistic uh, well my house? dad was writing poetry long before I was ever born and and he didn't write so much once I was born because he was a family man and he was a working man and but he, he had this artistic soul and uh, he was a, a hot-tempered Irishman with, who could cry on a dime, very sentimental. And so I think I inherited that. I mean, my DNA, I had that guy in me. And my mother was a very artistic woman. I had that in me. So I think I was inclined to appreciate performing arts. But, and I did some in, in elementary school and junior high. But they shot movies. They shot Route 66 and all these other TV series over on the island. Um, sea Hunt, of course, the whole time I was growing up, they were shooting Sea Hunt. And I watched them shoot it from afar, and it was intriguing, and I loved movies. I'd sit in a th- movie theater and, and just be enraptured. But then one, in 1965, they shot The Glass Bottom Boat. It was a movie with Doris Day and Rod Taylor, and it was on my dad's boat. And Arthur Godfrey played my dad. Okay. And I, they couldn't get rid of me. You know, I, I, This time, I could get close to the set and really watch how it was done. And... I watched Doris Day and Rod Taylor playing scenes as close as you are to me right now. And at the end of it, I went, oh, it's not magic. 
that's just a craft. I can do that. And I had always been intrigued by it. And once I saw that I could do it, it was like at 15, I knew what I'd do for the rest of my life. And I did. You know, I, it was 10 years before I, I, I became a professional actor. I had to finish high school, go through the Army, the Vietnam War, you know, go, go study in Hollywood for a few years, and then finally get an agent and a job. But I always knew that was what I would be. See, that's cool, because I was just thinking earlier, just because my mind thinks, it's like, you had to go to Hollywood, because it's not like you can get to an audition living in Catalina. You know right. I mean? It's like, it's like right. hey, we're going to take the, uh, the, the plane or the, or the boat, you know? Yeah. So you decided, you're saying, okay, you go into the Army, mm-hmm. and then after that, do you go back to Catalina? Went back or you- to Catalina in 1971 um, for three or four months, and I was doing a little play in a, in a bar in Catalina, in the Chichi Club, it's called. Still open? Still open. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and, uh, and Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau, no, no, Jack Lemon and Jason Robards and uh, Barbara Rush were, were shooting a movie on the island called The War Between Men and Women that summer. And, they came, and, and uh, Jason came in one night to have a drink. He just wanted to have a drink at the bar after a day's work. And we were doing a production of The Fantastics that, that we had decided would generate a little more business between like six and eight, you know, before the regular crowd right. would be coming in. And I played El Gallo in The Fantastics. And Robard sat there at the bar drinking for two hours watching this show, got totally sauced. And at the end of it, I'm, I was working as a doorman at the, at the club. That's my job. I was 21 and checking people's IDs. And so this, that's, how I, that's why I was doing my role at right. El Gallo. He comes to this little closet. I'm changing out of my El Gallo outfit. He knocks on the door. I open it, and there's Jason Robards, and he's totally toasted. And he says, you know, I just want to tell you, you, you you're a good actor. You, you could do this. You, you, could, you could make a living probably doing this. I just wanted to give you that and say, you know, go for it, man. You, you're good. And he stumbled away. I sat there. I stood there with my mouth open. It was it was a an epiphany for me because I always thought, you know, yeah, I got some talent and I've certainly got got a dream, but do I really have what it takes to make it in in the professional world? And literally, the next day, the next morning, I got on a boat, came across to the mainland. I had been dating this girl who was coming to the island every now and then. Sort of just, just a, a <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, just a fun chick. It's, 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 she it's had a written girl. down her. She had given me her her home phone number on the back of a business card. On the front of the business card was a thing she had apparently been studying at Estelle Harmon's Actors Workshop. So I flipped the card over, and I had noticed that. And so when Robard said this to me the next morning, I said, "That's where I'm going. This is the only acting school I've ever heard of." And I'm going there. And I got on the boat with 50 bucks in my pocket and, and uh, took a bus to Hollywood and got off at Sycamore and Melrose and walked to, uh, down the street to Estelle Harmon's workshop and walked in and I had gotten out of the army so I had the GI Bill. I said, do you take the GI Bill? She said, sure. And I said, okay, I'm, I want to study at your acting school. And I walked around the corner from that and uh, got an apartment for 50 bucks a month and started my career in Hollywood the next day after Jason had said that to me. That's amazing. It's just so funny also, first of all, 50 bucks for rent in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. But it's just so funny because now when people come out, there's so many different schools, and there probably was then, but there's so many different schools, and 
apartments. I mean, it's so hard to get an apartment when you move out here because you don't know where to live. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. ended up in Burbank because I talked to people and they say, hey, you don't want to live here. And you look and you go, well, why not? It looks nice. And they go, wait till it gets dark. Right. So, so you, you moved over there. So you, now, did you enjoy taking the classes? Was, were you fulfilled? Were you like, did you want to learn? Were you like a sponge waiting to learn? I was a sponge. I mean, it was, I look back on this now, the next three and a half, four years of my life from when I started at Estelle Harmon's and, and to when I finally started to work a little bit um, as the best time of my life. It was the, it was the most exciting. Every day uh, was, a, was a possibility of something really exciting happening. I was living on nothing. I was eating virtually nothing. I was doing odd jobs. Eventually, I created a window washing route uh, for myself on, on Santa Monica, uh, between Melrose and uh, uh, Crescent Heights, and I would walk, and I didn't have a car, um, so I had to get an apartment right next to Estelle's right. because that was, you know, I, I, I had to walk I, wherever I was going. I had to walk, and uh, and my job I created was where I could walk down the street and and squeegee and wash windows, underbidding everyone else who was doing it at the time. Just created a, a way to make a few bucks. Now, do you think that you think your uh, military training actually helped you adapt more? Yes, I mean, I, I had I hated the army. I hated the. I was a conscientious objector. I was I was nonviolent. I was treated, uh, you know, like like a diseased person in the army. But but I did learn discipline. I did learn uh, how to how to survive on your own uh, with no help from anyone else. And that really helped me in Hollywood, you know. And also I learned how to live through rejection and, and loneliness and all those other things. And that really helped me in Hollywood. And uh, I was very self-reliant, you know. So you're, you're sitting there, you're getting the classes. Now, do you get an agent right away? or are you no. sitting there, So how do you start I getting auditions? I studied for, for three and a half, four years before I even tried to get an agent. Okay. I became the guy in the workshops I went from Estelle's, I went to uh, uh, Lee Strasberg, to Stella Adler, to several others. And uh, I was always the guy in the workshop. If, they'd, if somebody said, who do you think is going to make it out of this place? People would say, oh, he is. He is. Because I was doing good work, and I was growing leaps and bounds all the time. I was getting better all the time. And I had a flair for it. And so I knew that validation was telling me, you're not wrong to be here. You are going to get there. Just take your time, learn your craft, become excellent at what you do, and all the things you want to have happen will happen. Just be good. And eventually that's what happened. Somebody came to the workshop and said, I, I want to see your best students because I'm making a little indie film for no money, and I want to see any young leading men you have. And they they told him about me, and they came and watched me do a scene in the class, and they offered me the starring role in an independent movie that was being made for $100,000, shooting weekends for a year. And I, I took it. What was the name of that movie? Jim, the World's Greatest. Okay. And uh, we shot it for a year on weekends, and uh, Universal bought it. Reshot half of it. I begot in the union from that. I got a great review on the cover of the calendar section of the LA Times from that. That generated a call from an agent. I suddenly had an agent, and I got the, in the union because I had done the reshooting. And it was like overnight success. But I had been in Hollywood at five years. Five you know, years at that you know it's funny. You just said something that probably you know only 
2% of <laughs> the country can say is you got the call for a leading man. That must be a great title. I mean, you know, I'm <laughs> funny, you know, this, but leading man is one of those things you go, wow. I mean, that, that, did that ever get to your head just because it's like they're saying, hey, he's a leading man. And that's just that's not a that's a term. It, I don't think it's as much now as it used to be. Like mm-hmm. leading man was like back, you know, years ago was huge. Now mm-hmm. it's like, well, this guy's a leading man, but he's dumpy. This, you know, I mean, right. what was that like as a young guy? Right. No, it was it was back then. It there was a very yeah, it was a very specific niche, leading man. You know, it was like okay, he has to be attractive, he has to be fit, he has to be white, he has to be. <laughs> You know, there was so many limitations on it. Good head of but hair, which you good still head, have. Good head of hair, thanks. And, and you know, all I ever really wanted was to be a character actor. That's typical. Most leading men want to be character actors. Most character actors wanted to be leading men. Now, you know, in the last 20 years, they are both. Dustin Hoffman was like the breakthrough guy for that, you know, um, of not being a, a quote-unquote leading man, but also being a star, and and a leading man, right? But he was a character. He was always a character actor. Um, but when I started in 1971, you know that wasn't the way the world was. And, and the whole business is very different in a lot of ways from the way it was then. So you're doing, you got that movie, and then I know you end up, you end up getting Logan's Run, the TV. Eventually, yeah, a couple other f- little films and and uh, opportunities, and then eventually Logan's Run was the first series I ever got. Well, I saw you in Trilogy of Terror. And the funny thing is, I just remember that from being, I think, in high school, and I think being stoned, I don't know, at a party, and that little <laughs> doll, that, that thing. The and, doll with the knife and stabbing everyone, her feet. We could not tell you what happened in the movie. We just go, hey, did you see that trilogy of terror? Did you have a big part in that? Because I only saw the no, part I didn't. where okay. It was my first TV job ever. Okay. I had a one-page scene where there was, trilogy and terror was three different stories that Karen Black starred in all three. And, uh, and... It was the one where she is. Uh, uh, she has a, a, a boyfriend who's a photographer, and she kills him off, burns him up in his in his dark room. And at the very end of that half hour episode, there's a knock on her door. She's a school teacher. Okay. And at the end of that half hour, there's a knock on her door. She opens it, and here's the next guy she's okay. going to nail, who's saying, "Can you help me? I need a little help with this class." And I, I heard you were good. And she's. It's like the spider, you know. Right. <laughs> calling the fly in. She goes, yes, come right on in. I'll be right. And that was it. That was okay. it. That was my little moment. But that was great. Because those, those, TV those old TV movies were great. I mean, I you know, you just, you remember them. And they were, and maybe because it was just a different time. But when you break them down, like I remember seeing one where this guy got like mugged in a mall and he got knocked out in the bathroom. And then he had to avoid like the attack dogs. Right. And it was like, looking at it now, you probably go, what is this? Or like the movie Bad Ronald where they locked the kid in the, basement uh-huh, uh-huh. and you look at it now you'd be like what the hell but as like back then you're like man this is so different than anything we see yeah yeah that i and and i ended up i mean i, th- I think probably i'm in the top 10 actors who have who have done in terms of amount of television movies you know robert urich's certainly up there but i've done at least 55 60 television movies of all different kinds of of plots like what you're describing, you know, that are that are basic. There's a TV movie plot, right? And I was in them, <laughs> you like know. And half of them play on Lifetime. Yeah, still. I just see the Lifetime plot. It's like the girl runs away from the guy. The yeah. guy finds her. It just goes, but I'm, you still watch it. I have played the date from hell 
Many, many times. The guy who's charming and then turns into a monster. See, that's good, though. Have, have you been in any Christmas ones? I have. I've done a lot of Christmas movies. I did The Gathering okay. with Ed Asner and, and this amazing cast. Stephanie Zimbalist and I were, were husband and wife on that. And that won the Emmy back in 1979. And, uh, and then I did a movie with Olivia Newton-John that's a Christmas movie. That must have been great. It's fantastic. That plays. That's a perennial. It plays every year. Um, and I just did another one this year for Hallmark that'll air this December. The reason I ask you that is because I noticed, like, at Christmas time, you know, my girlfriend just moved out here. So, you know, we had our Christmas back. I mean, I would go back east, but now she's here. Mm-hmm. And we, I always, I love Christmas time and I love specials. And I would check, like, Hallmark had, like, honestly, like, 500 new, like, you would sit there and go, okay, this has to be from 2009. No, 2013, <laughs> 2000. And sit there going, wait a second, they can't have that much programming. Then you go to Lifetime and there's people and they're all solid, solid actors, mm-hmm. but no one knows about these movies. And mm-hmm. it's like, you sit there and you go, how, I mean, they must be shooting these things like three years in advance. I think so. And because it's a Christmas movie, it, like I said, it becomes a perennial. So they're airing it every year and adding new ones to it every year. So there's you know, 24 hour a day Christmas programming for the whole month of December. Now I want to go back to when your first Logan's run, that's your first series. Yeah. Now, it ran for two years, two seasons, one. I wish it, it didn't even run a full season. Okay, what happened? Because back then, it's like every. It seems like everything ran for a a long time back then. It's like they give shows a bunch of chances. Mm-hmm. Like now, if the mm-hmm. show's lousy, after two episodes, they pull it. Right. But and plus, but I guess, but back then was it was, it was sci-fi, so that must have been a little bit. Uh, it was expensive. Risque. Okay, that's the thing. It was. It was. It actually was doing very well in the ratings, but it was the most expensive TV show ever done at that point. Because of the special effects, CGI was was not happening back then, and and to do to do special effects, uh, they would have to like literally paint the the film footage frame by frame, that kind of thing, and so they were spending a lot of money on this show, and it was we were in about episode thirteen or fourteen of a twenty two show season when Star Wars was released, and we were considered this really top quality high tech science fiction television show until suddenly Star Wars came out and we were now comparatively like the old Buck Rogers series with the cigarette smoke coming out right. of the back of the rocket ship <laughs> it was like it was like that totally reinvented science fiction and and uh, cinematics and and special effects and suddenly we were relegated to to uh, uh, old hat and the network looked at it and says there's no way we can, can compete with that cancel the show even though we were doing well but it was too expensive and they couldn't justify it well back then there wasn't a lot of networks I mean there was th- there was three yeah, yeah three now you must have been starting to get recognized mm-hmm. I mean was that weird for you because any if, if you were in a show that was somewhat popular it, it's not like Back then, I mean, back then it was like millions. I mean, the, the shares were so much higher. Even oh, if yeah. you were, even if you were on a, if you were in the top ten show, the shares were sick. I mean, you must have been getting we recognized. Had, we, no, we on a, on a on a mediocre week, we'd have twenty to thirty million viewers. If you get twenty or thirty million viewers now, you're the number one show oh, yeah. of the week. Um, that was an, um, a middling kind of performance back then because there were only three networks. There were probably a hundred and fifty million people in the country. Now there's. What three hundred million? Right, but but uh, one hundred and fifty million people in the country, and if thirty or forty of them were watching your show, you were number one. You know, so do people start coming up and recognizing oh, you? Yeah. Now, how how is that? I mean, because it must be different. You you were you were acting for a while. 
mm-hmm. and you were different roles. I mean, Trilogy mm-hmm. of Terror, people won't recognize you from no, that. No, not from that. But then all of a sudden, people just start recognize you and you're the leading man mm-hmm. you must have had like women chasing you down the street um i suppose you could say that but i, I was single back then so i was chasing women down the street <laughs> <laughs> that was really the reality of the situation um hollywood that was the 70s that was before aids right that so, was a good era to be alive. And, <laughs> and a leading man a leading on man. a TV show. That's all I can show. say. I'm not going to go into detail. But. <laughs> so, so after the show gets canceled, do you go through depression or, or do you sit there, are you resilient, and you go, hey, you know what? I'm trained. I'm ready for this. Things are going to come up. Oh, no. I wasn't depressed at all. No. My, my, my life was fantastic. The, the, it, was, it was going along just as I had dreamt. You know, I was starring in things. I was being offered things, being able to turn things down, making decent amount of money. I never was in it for the money. Um, I really loved the craft. You know, I had fallen in love with the craft in those four or five years of, of training. And, and to have opportunities to, to uh, try and fulfill my, my dreams as, a, as an actor uh, was, was everything I had hoped for. And I was, you know, and then along with making some bucks finally and all that was, I was able, you know, I've been a surfer since I was nine years old. I was able to travel the world on my off times during my hiatuses and stuff and, and surf all around the planet. And I've continued that for 50 years. Is Costa Rica as good as they say? My friends say that it's amazing to surf down there. It is. Is it? Okay. I have a, I have well, the water's perfectly, uh, uh, it, it's a perfect temperature. Uh, waves are consistent. It's right in the, near the equator. So you're getting the south swells in the... In, in one season and the north swells in another so it's always got surf and and the people are friendly and they speak english i think it's the second most literate uh, uh country in the world everybody reads everybody speaks probably two languages at least um it's a, it's a great place where would you say like your two three of your top places surf if someone said okay gregory we're gonna, you're gonna shoot a movie and then you can surf where would you where would you say um this is where i have to surf <laughs> well i've i've uh I've done them. People have said that. So I, I, I've been to South Africa twice to surf and to shoot movies. And uh, Jeffrey's Bay in South Africa is probably the most perfect wave for my style of surfing that I've ever, ever found anywhere. Um, Tavarua, Fiji, is a fantastic place to be. And uh, all over Australia. I, I've, I've surfed Australia 11 different trips and made four movies there so so it's those places are fantastic but i have surfed italy israel greece uh, um all up and down uh the african coast uh surfed all of south america central america north america i've lived on the coast of oregon for 22 years and surfed cold water amazing surf up there the whole time it's it, there's beauty and and uh, inspiration as a surfer to be found just about everywhere. Now, have you gotten to know surfers like popular surfers because you're an actor and you surf and you don't hear that a lot. You hear people screw around, but you're an avid surfer. I'm an avid. Ha- surfer. Have you met some of the, like the bigger names and I've, what was that like? I've met them. I've surfed with them. I still surf with them. Um, I did a movie, uh, an iconic film now, a real classic called North Shore, and I played the sole surfer in that movie I played a shaper named Chandler and uh, who knew at the time we shot on the north shore of of Oahu which is the famous uh, uh, mecca 
of surfing. There's a seven-mile stretch of, you know, Waimea Bay, Bonsai Pipeline, Sunset Beach, all these famous, well, excuse me, famous surf breaks that that uh, every surfer dreams of experiencing at least once in their life, and I've been there hundreds of times. And we shot that movie there for three months. They cleared the water for us. We all, all the, the actors in the cast were were surfers some of them were surfers and not so much actors right but but uh <laughs> but uh, it turned into this really charming film that is now 27 years old and and fathers and sons uh have all grown up to it memorized every every line we just had a a, a screening of it a couple of weeks ago at the uh at, at a, a surfing uh a museum down in san Clemente and uh, called the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. And uh, the entire cast showed up, uh, including Laird Hamilton and, and famous surfers like Jerry Lopez and Mark Acalupo and, and world champs. And, uh, and we screened it and everybody knew every word of dialogue. Every, everybody sitting in the audience memorized every word. I've paddled out at places. I paddled out in, in Sumatra a couple of years ago, jumped off a boat and, swam, and paddled over to the peak. There was about four guys out, and one of them looked at me, and <laughs> 25 years after I'd done the movie, and went, Chandler, dude, dude. <laughs> and he asked me to say one of the lines from the film, and then he gave me every wave I wanted for the rest of the day. Now, have you ever done anything crazy like Laird Hamilton, where he gets like, just dropped into that stuff? Or would you ever try that, or are you just saying... I, no, I, I wouldn't. Okay. No, I, I, I've surfed Waimea Bay at 15 to 20 feet. But that was 25, 30 years ago. Right. And, uh, that, you know, I could survive it then. Now, no, it's, no. It's, I'm not that crazy anymore. <laughs> but I still love big surf. Right. But big is a comparative thing, you know. For now, double overhead is big surf right. to me, you know. <laughs> so I want to get back to your acting. So I know, I, I, the surfing's great because I just, I, growing up back east, I didn't surf when my friends did. And then, you know, but New Jersey didn't have the best way. I mean, they had some places. It does, but yeah. Back there, it's I've like, surfed Atlantic City. Yeah, it has, well, it has waves in the winter. Thing, but it's just, um, it was, it's, it's not as crazy as out here because, mm-hmm. you know, people are always out out here because it's always nice. You right. know, back there, you can surf in the winter, but I don't care if you have a wetsuit when, right. it's, when it's, the water's like 20 degrees. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to deal with it. No. So you're acting along. And after, you know, of course, Trapper John comes up. Mm-hmm. Now, well, actually, another thing came in between uh, Logan's Run and Trapper John. It was called it was the longest miniseries, the best miniseries I think they ever done. Centennial? which is called Centennial, twenty five hours long, and I was the central character that Levi Zent, who builds the town of Centennial, and uh, I aged from twenty two to seventy eight. What's that like? I mean, because I mean, back then, I'm sure it's not as easy to do prosthetics that no. it is now. But that it must did it hurt sometimes? Did oh be- yeah. Oh, I still have scars from from Centennial. We're trying to pull the the plastic off of my face, uh, pulled skin out of the corners of my eyes and stuff, you know. And 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 but it was well worth it. I mean, it was the the most challenging thing I'd ever done, and probably the best one of the best projects I've ever worked on with with a fantastic cast of dozens and dozens of huge Hollywood stars, television and film stars, um, from, from you know, uh, Tim Dalton and, and Lynn Redgrave and, and uh, Richard Chamberlain and, and all kinds of great, great actors uh, came through in those 25 hours. Well, as an actor, how would you look at a role like that because you have to in a short time you have to age a lot and we mm-hmm. all age differently we don't know what we're going to be like when we're 70 mm-hmm. or anything. I mean as an actor you was it intimidating or you were just like I just want to get into this and no, I'm not sure No it was sure terribly intimidating I'd never done anything like it before I, I had no idea if I was going to be able to pull it off but I knew I wanted to try um, 
when we we finally had me in the old age makeup, I was playing a 78-year-old man who had a full head of gray hair. And I kept thinking, this doesn't look real. This doesn't look real. Well, recently I went back and looked at it and looked at my 78-year-old pictures, and I still have that same full head of gray hair. <laughs> so actually it was pretty much on the money. But who knew that right. my... my my skull wouldn't be showing by this time. I mean, you know? me, look, I, when I was in, when I was thirty, I had the full. I was called the. I had the Parker Stevenson hair, uh-huh. <laughs> and look right. at me now; it's all gone. Right, so, right. So, so it must, yeah, that must have been very interesting because you're just your whole body language probably would have to change. Because and, did. And did you do any studying on how people aged? Yeah, but it wasn't studying per se. You know, research for actors is not always what what we consider studying. It's more absorbing, being around. Uh, observing, uh, observing with 110 percent of your uh, abilities, rather than just sort of uh, hanging around and soaking in a little here and there. I mean, it's really just sponging in as much information as you can when you're in the right situations. You know, it's like we sit around in airports, all of us do, and we love watching people go by and sort of going, "Wow, that's an interesting person. That's an interesting." That's what an actor's life is if you're really trying to, to absorb the traits of, realistically absorb the traits of other people. You know, it's like every, everywhere is an airport for me. I'm always observing and absorbing uh, as much as possible. And that's what I did with that. Now, with that, it must have really, people must just look at you differently as an actor to say, wow, you know, this guy can really act. I mean, you know, they always knew you could act, but for something to do a branch of that age, it must have been, I mean, people must have been very impressed with you. Some were. I mean, you know, there are critics everywhere, too. And there are people who thought I totally missed it. And there were, there were I think, more people who thought I, I found it and, and landed the part. But, but uh, yeah, I suppose the industry went, okay, he's, he's, we're going to take him a little more seriously. He's not just a, a you know, a quick drop-in-the-bucket TV actor. Maybe, he, maybe this guy can do something of depth. You know, and then I got Trapper John. Now that show, everyone everyone loved Gonzo Gates. Yeah, that was just that was just a that's, a, that's one of those characters that it was just cool. Like you know, it's not like oh yeah, that guy's a handsome guy. We hate him. It's like nah, this guy's cool because you were sort of like a renegade. Mm-hmm. I mean, didn't you sit on top? Didn't you live in a? Uh, yeah, a, I lived in a motorhome in the parking lot called the Titanic. My friend who shoots some of the live things I do, his name is Drew Alexander said the reason why he when he saw that show he now like went off the grid he got this really cool trailer mm-hmm. and he goes i always wanted to be able to sit in a trailer and drink a cocktail when i was younger and now i can thanks to gonzo gates and i'm just so funny i'm like wow and he's the only per- like he's the person if he tells you that kind of story uh-huh. you go well i can actually probably see him right now doing that so that must have been crazy because you were like you were like, that's like, you were a heartthrob. I mean, yeah. that must be, what's it like to be a heartthrob? Because yeah, I knew you had the posters and stuff like that. I mean, what's that yeah. like? Uh, it's 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 uh, surreal in some ways, you know? And, and I think I always looked at it with with trepidation, you know, because I, it, it is such a limited uh, uh, niche to be in. You know, and, and I was always trying to break through it. That's why with the success of Trapper John, I immediately started Catalina Productions and started producing things because I wanted to create rules for myself that weren't being offered. Because you- people, people immediately said, okay, uh, you know, sexy leading man roles only for him, and that's all I was being offered, and I didn't want to just do that stuff, you know. What were some of the roles you wanted to do, and did you actually actively pursue scripts, or did you start writing yourself? I didn't start writing myself, but I would I would pursue scripts and I would develop things uh, by you know option books, option uh, scripts that I would read that that had roles that that weren't uh, 
typically what was being offered to me. I, I immediately started doing producing theater for myself. And the first one of the, the very first play actually that I produced was called The Hasty Heart. And I played a Scotsman who was dying in World War Two and we and it was to huge success here in, in Los Angeles and eventually ended up on Showtime, Broadway on Showtime they called it. And uh, uh with uh, uh Cheryl Ladd and uh and uh Kurt Russell. And, oh, and it was it was a fantastic uh, step forward in, into legitimacy as an actor, and um, and then I continued that. I produced about sixty plays over the next ten years, and and some I was in, some I wasn't. But just to have your hand into something that was more artistic and legitimate helped offset because people would say, "Oh, you're the you're the Gons," you know, because the Fonz was like okay. Henry Winkler couldn't escape the Fonz, right? And people would say, "You're the Gons." And I, I just, I, I cringe when I'd hear that kind of thing. You know, I just wanted to have opportunities down the line. I knew this was a great break for me, and I was creating an, a, a really loyal audience from it, but a loyal audience that I wanted to take on a journey through my career into other areas, you know? Now, after doing, I mean, doing a lot of TV and, you know, you started producing plays, mm -hmm. did you enjoy the being back on stage again? Was that something that you said, this is great? Because TV, I'm sure you don't, get to act as free as you do if you're on stage because on stage if you screw up you have to keep going i mean did you like that or did you like balancing both roles well it's interesting my my uh evolution into theater I i've had a totally bass awkward career you know i went east to hollywood from catalina nobody does that everybody goes west to get to hollywood i started in feature films and then i worked my way into television and then with that success, I found theater. That is completely backwards. Most people go, go right. east, to, east to New York or, or, or west to Hollywood to start their careers. They, they start doing theater in various places. Then they work their way into TV, and some of them escape TV into, into feature films. So for me, it was completely backwards. And when I found theater, fortunately, I had enough money in the bank that I could afford to do it. Right. And buy my own theater, the Coast Playhouse here in, in town, and, and produce stuff and, and fall in love with theater. I hadn't done much at all. A um, couple little plays during those five years when I was unemployed, you know, and, and studying. But that was it. And so I really learned how to act in, on stage um, under, under the watchful eye of a, of a large group of people. Right. That must be intimidating, too, I think, because you're sitting there and, you know, they say, you know, like playwrights or the caddiest people, you know, the screenwriters, just people. It must be because you had that, the gons, as you say. Mm -hmm. A playwright, I mean, sometimes would probably think, oh, you know, especially, you know, people are in this town. Oh, well, what, what's this guy? This guy's, he's, he's the gons, you right. know. So you right. probably you had really had to impress them just to gain that respect. I've had skeptics, yeah, um, that I had to <clears throat> overcome with just about everything I've tried to do. Not that others don't. Everybody has skeptics for one reason or another. Mine were, uh, you know, with their noses in the air, kind of going, well, come on, he's a TV actor. What's he doing trying to, you know, work on stage with other really talented theater actors? What's that about? They always played a nice guy. Like on, on Gonzo, you were a nice guy. But now Falcon Crest, you mm -hmm. were like a villain, right? <laughs> Very. I was the... What was that like? That must have been great for I an actor. A, I played a character named Michael Sharp in... Uh, and it was they were they were desperately trying to keep Falcon Crest on the air. I think it had been on the air for eight or nine years at that point. So they they brought me in for the final season and let me play the most perverse villain I'd ever been 
offered and certainly had ever played. And uh, I mean, to the point that this guy actually slept with his own sister, uh, <laughs> was mur- was murdering people. You know, he was very wealthy and rich and and uh, ruthless. It was it was a fun role. It was fun to finally do that. But that was me exploring another avenue that I hadn't been offered before. You know, to play the bad guy. And since then, I've probably fifty fifty. I've I've half the roles I've played have been bad guys, quote unquote. You know, but more complex uh, than most bad guys. I always the the challenge to me has always been to make three dimensional what is assumed to be one dimensional. You know, to give charm and depth and likability to people with dark sides, to give dark sides to good guys. To, that's, that's, the, that's the zone I like to work in. See, that's good because you're actually, you're before your time because now, that's what AMC does. Every one of AMC's right. show, it's like if you break it down, Don Draper is a jerk. Yeah, I mean, right. he's just this handsome guy who drinks too much and mm-hmm. cheats on everyone. Same as Breaking Bad. You oh know, my gosh. And you, you watch it and you go, well, this guy goes from this pathetic you know mm-hmm. wimp to mm-hmm. a, just a guy but for some reason you still like him you didn't want his brother-in-law to catch him because you're right. sitting there going we don't want that to happen you can be appalled by someone and root for them at the same time you know and that's and that's something that the networks never dared to do until you know, a couple decades ago you know they started well now you got nominated for an emmy right for uh falcon crest no no nope. never got never been nominated for an emmy it's, I, it says here you were nominated for an emmy and for an ace I've been nominated for an Ace Award. I've been nominated for several awards, but never an Emmy. Oh, you should have been. <laughs> John should have been. So, what was the, the Ace Award was for? Theater? Is that what? Or no, it was. I can't even remember what that was for. Maybe it was. Maybe that was for Hasty Heart. Maybe I, I can't even remember. It was. It was a couple decades ago. I hate IMD sometimes because you do your research on IMDb and Wikipedia because I don't know you. I know you. I know from right. you know, and you knew Larry. You know, you know certain people, mm-hmm. and sometimes the stuff you get on here and you go, okay. And I've had it, people going, "No, I was never on that show." And you're sitting there going, "Can you get it right, IMDb?" It's like you're I making know. me look bad as a host. I'm saying you sit there and you go, "You're sitting there going, hey, is your you know your father was a fisherman?" No, and it's like, come on, right, I, right. And Wikipedia is the worst. It is. And, you know, I, oh, no, for, soap, your soap opera digest, outstanding villain. You were nominated for an award. There we go. Okay. Okay. And the uh, the ace was for picnic. Picnic. That's what I was. I did two shows for that were plays first that were then filmed for uh, Broadway on Showtime. One was Hasty Heart. One was Picnic. Now, as you're going through the career, you know you're 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 a man with you're a man with very different hats. You know, you're acting. You did movies, you did TV, you said you're back at doing in theater. Yeah. And you said when you didn't work for five years, was that because by choice or you just, you really didn't get roles you wanted and you said, I have the money, I can do theater and I can do this? Because you were doing theater, so you were working. No, no, no. I, the five years I'm talking about was, was when I was studying. Oh, okay. I first got to Hollywood. Okay. I actually, I've never had a long gap without a job. I really like to work. I'm of the Michael Caine school of acting, which is actors act. You don't wait and turn down things until just the right role comes along. You take the best of what is offered and go do it, you know, and no apologies. Um, you know, I've done a lot of things that are not great movies, um, but I have always tried to be the best I can be in those things. And I, I like to keep acting. I love acting. I love being on a set. I love learning lines. I love delving into characters. I love actors and uh, creative people. So for me, I'm happiest when I'm busy either preparing or shooting a role. In the last, since your career has been going, is there any people that you really wanted to work with and didn't get a chance to, or is there any some people you really wanted to work with and were just amazed that you got a chance to work with them? 
Oh, there's been a lot of people. I mean, one of the nice things about doing Trapper John was that the producers loved and respected actors who had been around. So we had uh, old vaudevillian actors coming in. We had, uh, you know, Red Buttons guest starred and, and uh, Sylvia Sidney from, from the earliest, from, from, I think she even did uh, uh, silent films. You know, and, and transitioned into talkies. And I directed Sylvia in a couple episodes of, of Trapper John. I, I, I've worked with so many wonderful people, so many uh, people who were number one in the business at some point in their careers, and, uh, and respected and learned from all of them. Carol Burnett, I did a miniseries with Carol for several weeks, and we've been friends ever since. But she was, she taught me so much about what it means to be a classy star, you know, what it means to treat people well, to not differentiate between those who have power around you and, and to those uh, people low on the totem pole who, who are just as responsible for making a, a film happen or a set function, you know. She treats pe- everybody like they're, like they're worthy, you know, and that taught me something. See, I've heard that that's always, a lot of people are like that and it, 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 it affects the set because mm-hmm. you can go, everyone says you can go into a set that's, you can tell the people are just cool because it's so relaxed. Or you can right. go into a set where it's like, oh, my God, was there like a death on the set? I mean, there's so much tension sometimes. Right. Now, what did, did you like directing when you directed those shows? I, I really enjoy directing, yeah. But it's a real, uh, it's a marriage, you know. Every time you have a project to direct, especially a film, you know, television is a little shorter period, but a film would be, you know, six months to a couple of years of developing before you actually shoot and then you shoot for a couple of months and then you have another year of post-production. That's like a, a two or three year marriage. And that's all your focus goes to that. And I have never been willing to take my focus away from my wife, my four children, and the three-dimensionality of my life to, to do that. As much as I enjoy that process and would probably really love devoting myself as much as that requires i just i just am not willing to sacrifice the other things well your wife was an actress right randy was an actress yeah how did did you guys meet on set or did you just meet at a party or i mean how is it like we met in the most because you're you're the leading man i mean that must that must have been intimidating for her to meet you because you're you were gregory harrison are you kidding randy oaks still on on chips but still was the hottest girl on television i know but still it's just the leading man it's that whole role it's yeah like, but i mean you know I, I met her in the most disgusting possible hollywood way we were both competing on the battle of the network stars i love that show you know it's one of those things that <laughs> i don't know it's so it was when you would watch it you just go it was cool because you saw and you always had the tank tops and the right. shorts spandex yeah and the, there's always a rowing thing yeah and there was some other thing and and, and i met randy on that show <laughs> in 1981 uh, Howard Cosell introduced her to me on the air. I picked her to sit over a water tank because remember they would they would have these like you'd throw softballs at a at a little uh, a target and if you hit it the whoever was sitting above the water tank would fall in right and you'd get three shots at it. I knocked her in the water three times in a row. And why did I do that? Why did I pick her? Because she was wearing she looked so good and she was wearing spandex and the water was cold. And I thought you know I want to see this girl cold and wet. And I hit it all three times, knocked her in, went up, picked her up, carried her out of it, and went back and sat her down. My children, about 15 years later, my children come home from school one day and say, Mom, Dad, you know what? So-and-so at school just showed me on YouTube the moment when you and Mom met 
It was disgusting. <laughs> you guys look like you were about to do it. <laughs> and Randy and I are looking at each other going, well, oh, yeah, that's pretty perceptive of you because that's pretty much how it went. So now, that's just, oh, that's great because it's so funny, that show, because it's funny because when I was talking earlier when you were talking about the surfing, I was thinking, they never had surfing in that show, and they should have because it would have been perfect because it would have been well, perfect Well, it would have fit me. I, I, yeah, I don't think. But we had, you know, Scott Baio and Tom Selleck and, and Robert Conrad and Ed Asner and, you know, all these different guys and, and girls were, were in it. And Randy was was absolutely stunningly beautiful, and, uh, and I couldn't resist it. Now, how would they find you to do that? Because, I mean, I believe that show was on ABC. Yeah, were, was they on allowed, ABC. were they allowed to go to other networks? I mean, yes, I guess back because then. remember it was NBC, CBS, right. and ABC. We only had three networks, and they competed on that show. We'd have network stars from each network would be competing against the others. And uh, Randy was on NBC with Chips, and I was on CBS with Trapper John. Was it fun, or was there actually rivalry? Like, were you sitting there going, "We want to beat, we want to beat C"? We oh, we were, oh no, it was it was. Most of us were were pretty competitive. You know, I found that most actors, most guys at least in acting. Acting is their second choice after not becoming M- Mickey Mantle right. or a football star. You know, they fell back on on the dream that acting is, you know. And that was true for me. I wanted to be Mickey Mantle, you know. And acting, okay, I'll take that. That that looks pretty good since since I don't seem to have what it takes to be Mickey. And and so when we get on an opportunity like that, first there was some money in it. It was I think twenty thousand if you lost, forty if you won. Um, for a weekend's work, it was pretty nice, pretty oh, yeah. sweet, pretty sweet pay, <laughs> and uh, but but it was double your pay if you won, and uh, you know the, the the competitor and all of us came out, and it was so stupid looking back on it now because you're like playing flag football and 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 canoeing across a, a <laughs> Olympic sized swimming pool and I mean you know obstacle courses and 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 dunk tanks I mean it was just ridiculous but but it was fun. And uh, and we all got to hang out together, and they got great ratings, you know. And I I found Randy on that show and married her a year later. We've been married thirty two years. That's great, especially in Hollywood. I mean, that's a great story because they got people go oh, this and that, you know. Oh, these couples like now you watch TMZ and you go, it's like oh wait, we'll give that couple you know yeah uh, a week two weeks yeah. <laughs> now they're like oh Jay Z and Beyonce may get divorced, and it's like right. hey we've been together that long right. So now as you you as you've gotten older. Yeah. And you still you have the distinguished look. I remember you. I oh. loved you on Psych. I liked because my girlfriend turned me on. That was one. I I love that show. I love that show too. I've heard that's a very fun cast. To work it was on. a great cast to work with. I loved that, and it's produced. It was produced by Mel Damsky, who's the guy who directed the first movie I ever produced, which was for Ladies Only, the male stripper movie. Okay, now that was that. I've heard that was very big in the uh, the female and the gay community. It, it was very big in those two communities. And that poster, I think, was second only to Farrah Fawcett's erect nipple poster uh, in terms of sales. <laughs> so that must be, I mean, when you think about it, looking back, and you know, and it's so funny because, you know, you've done all this great work, but you've got to sit there and sit there and go, wow, it's like, for, like, do you have your kids seen that poster? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, did they, what do they think? I mean, first of all, your kids, when you, get, when you go to school, like back, if you went to a PTA, I mean, every woman must have been like, oh, my God. Because oh, you know half those women had the damn poster. <laughs> I mean, what, this, 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 not that they get embarrassed. They sit there and go, did your kids ever go, man, Dad, you, you were a heartthrob before you know, any of this. I don't, they never said that to me. But, I, I, you know, my kids have seen me, <laughs> have seen me do everything from, from that male stripper to uh, murdering women and men to to <laughs> being the president to you know i mean they've just they just i think they're unimpressed by all of it you know it's just 
it's like, oh yeah, my dad, he's whacked. Right. You know, <laughs> he's he, a surfer. He, he does stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's a surfer. He paddles every day. I'd go surfing in Oregon on the coast, and of course, you know, that's where seal colonies of thousands of seals. What a what a great white speed on, but seals, and they'd see me paddle out into the midst of all these seals, and go, well, that's it for dad. We're never going to see him again. How, every time I went out, how did you pick Oregon to live? I mean, was there something that you visited and loved it, or it was away from the sea? I mean, how did you pick? I was up there in Portland shooting a movie back in 1990. Um, little uh, television movie and and I went down to the coast one day to surf on a day off and uh, I'd heard about this spot in northern Oregon and surfed it fell in love with the coast I said I went back home and we we had two kids at that point one was about to turn five and start school and I and Randy and I had been talking about where to move to raise our children we didn't want to raise them in Los Angeles and uh, and I wanted to move to Fiji and she wanted to move to Aspen so so that was a compromise. We went to where there's ocean and mountains and, uh, and lived right on the coast overlooking the ocean. And so I could surf. The water was cold and there were sharks. But uh, she could have her mountains and some farmland and a couple horses and, and then raise our kids in a small community like she had grown up in in Iowa and like I grew up in Avalon. And, and uh, we sort of understood that dynamic, too, and wanted to raise our kids in it. We, have, we only have about five, five, six minutes left. I want to talk about the new show you're on. Okay. Now... How did that come about? Did someone say we want you in this role? Yeah, or? yeah. I uh, I got a, a, a request from uh, Ian Sander and uh, uh, Kim Moses that that uh, I had worked for back in the '90s in a series that only lasted one season on CBS called New York News, and they had since then done like six successful series, and uh, they were starting a new one for CBS. Les Moonves had just pulled the trigger on it and said, "Okay, we're giving you." Uh, a pilot and uh, it'll be a, a, a season of 13 and there was an offer and there it was and I, I read the script I was blown away by it it was going to shoot in Charleston South Carolina it was a great character for me it was somebody different from anybody I'd played before a southern uh, a ruthless southern uh, gentleman who was like a fourth generation Charlestonian um, and uh, uh, it was going to all be shot right there in Charleston with a great cast. Cam Gigande was already involved. He had just come off of Twilight. And Sean Hattesey, who I think is a magnificent He's great. He was, he was so good in Southland. So good. And he's so good in this. Right. And, and uh, Rodriguez. From, and, uh, and Adam Rodriguez, yeah. who, who just came off of like 11 years in CSI. Right. And a couple of leading ladies that have, have proven to be just, just gorgeous and talented. Uh, Georgina Haig and Anna Wood. And uh, Michael Gladys, who's an amazing actor, just came off of Mad Men. And uh, I just looked around. I, I read this script. It was fant- the, the, the show runner, Dana Stevens, uh, is a fantastic writer-producer. And uh, all the elements were there and a character I'd never played. So I just jumped on it, and I, it ended up being maybe the most fun job I've ever had. Do you enjoy working with the younger actors? I mean, does it sit there and put a little spark on God? I remember when I was trying, you know, because they're still, they've all been on the TV shows, but like Adam's played the same character. So now they're all branching out. And it's sort of Sean from South and except for mm-hmm, the little things. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're probably been in transition stage where you've been in your career. Do you enjoy watching that and just seeing how they take on the roles? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I do. And, and they, I think, enjoy uh, having somebody around who's kind of been through it, you know, and, and to get a sense of... of what I've learned over the years, which is not not about acting because they're all fine actors, but about pacing yourself and about 
what battles to fight and what battles to not fight. You know, I mean, I, that's all stuff that you can only learn through experience. And so I may have things that I can share with them that are of some value that way. Now, do you still do some stage work? Or are you doing? I know. You, I, I know on your website you were in a play a while ago though with uh, well, Jane Kaczmarek. I know. Yes, I did the Snake Can uh, a year and a half ago uh, at the Odyssey Theater. And I. I I jumped into a couple of shows for LA Theater Works. You know, they record these things for radio, but they do live performances of them in front of audiences. So I did The Other Place with Callista Flockhart about four months ago, and then I did uh, uh, An Enemy of the People just a couple of months ago with Richard Kind. And that sort of keeps my hand in theater, which I love. It gets my head out of uh, uh, <laughs> my, my rear. But it gets my head out of uh, just thinking about film all the time. And it's such a good exercise. Being on a stage and... And, and performing voc- vocally and the, the different calibrations required uh, helped me as a, as a film actor, too. They helped broaden me because I found that television and film acting, you shrink and shrink and shrink because the camera can get right in there. And what that does is it sort of shrinks your, your ability to really blast when you need to. And uh, bad habits get created. So I love doing all of that. Any uh, films or TV coming up? What's, uh, I see you have Fair Haven. Uh, Fairhaven is a, an independent film I shot a couple months ago in New York. And actually, my daughter, who's an actress, 25, uh, her name's Lillianne Harrison. She's uh, one of the leads in it. I play a gay conversion therapist, uh, uh, a guy much like Marcus Bachman, who uh, is taking, trying to take uh, young gay men and, and make them straight again, okay. pray, pray them straight. <laughs> and uh, it, that was a very different character that from must anything be a I've ever... fun role, though. That it must was, just be fun. Cause you it to... was really fun to go there. That's and uh, But, you know, it's a, it's a good uh, bookend to the to uh, It's My Party <laughs> that I did with Eric Roberts, right, where was... we played lovers. Now, now, are you glad your daughter's following in the footsteps of Gwen, or do you sit there and go, don't do it, or are you completely... I am glad now, because she's 25, and... Um, she never, you know, she, she grew up in Oregon. I mean, one of the reasons why we lived in Oregon was to not have the kids obliged to follow in our footsteps, you know. And, and uh, she, at 18, said, look, I've always wanted to do this, and, and are you going to help me or not? And I said, absolutely, I'll help you now, now that you're 18 and you've had a normal childhood. And the same with my, my third daughter, Kate, who is a model and a very successful model, international model now. She's 23. Uh, Kate Harrison. So Lillianne Harrison is the actress and Kate Harrison is the model, which Randy frowned upon. She was a model before she became an actress and she hoped that none of our children right. would follow in those footsteps. But, but you you know, they, they're, they're adults and they can choose. That's good. That's a, it's, it's a pleasure having you on. Uh, that's... Uh you have a great history. I always love that. I always love to talk to people who Thanks. you can jump. I can jump because I jump around. That's the way I go. But <laughs> you know, usually you'd like to follow. But then there's so much more like about this. I knew you were a surfer, but not such a in-depth surfer. Mm-hmm. And, and you're still getting out and surfing, though. I am. I live right on the beach up in Ventura. And, uh, and I surf probably three or four times a week. Well, if you ever get any legal problems in Ventura, my good friend Ted Caliento is a detective up there. Okay, good to know. I'm so you say, down. hey, I know Ted Caliento. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he surfs. <laughs> I don't think he surfs. But I just actually, I was just up there. Ventura is a really nice area. It is really it, nice. It's, There's like little secret nooks in it that that have have uh, been preserved for decades. You know, I'm not going to tell you exactly where because right. I don't want to blow it. But but uh, there's farmland up there that sort of surrounds certain little nooks and crannies, and, and it just makes it a real pleasant place to be. And you're only an hour and 15 away from L.A. That's what's great. Yeah, it is. it's a hop, skip, and a jump. We were up there yeah. a few weeks ago, and we're sitting there going, wow, this is a nice ride. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, do you tweet? I do, yeah. Okay, what's your Twitter? The, the Real Gregory H. The Real Gregory H.? Yep. That's, is there, is there that's a fake Gregory H.? At The Real H? Gregory H. That's my, that's my handle. And your website is? 
My website is GregoryHarrison.com. So you're lucky you got that because a lot of people get like you're lucky you don't have to get a .net because there's a lot of people who are just scumbags who try to get websites and then right. Well, it. I had to get it. I had to get it from a guy that did okay, that. See, that's just disgusting. It took me a few years to wait him out, but I, mean, I, I got it a few years. I ago. want to thank you for uh, coming on the show. It's great my meeting pleasure. you. People, uh, follow me at Twitter at Cooper Talk. Go to my website CooperTalk.net because I don't have the .com. <laughs> I have uh, I think about 280 episodes up there. Also go to iTunes or Stitcher and you can type in one word Cooper Talk. And yeah, and what else? Oh, send me an email, cooper.talk at yahoo.com. We changed our system. My email's changed from here. So send me a message. Tell me you want to hear who comes on the show. And please follow me on Twitter because I write a lot of stuff. And keep listening, you know, because without you guys, I'd be talking to myself, which I'd be fine. But then I sort of sound like an idiot because Joanne always says, can you just stop talking to yourself? Anyway, check out Gregory Harrison, the real Gregory H at Twitter. Follow me at Cooper Talk. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'm going back to the gym.